Hello and welcome to another episode of Oh Shoot. Today, it's all about Iron Man 2. And as always, I love Iron Man. I love Tony Stark. He's definitely one of my favorite characters, uh, you know, who's within the MCU. Now, this movie, unfortunately, isn't quite so high up on the ranks for me. I like this movie. I don't love it. It's when it comes to re-watching the Marvel movies, this is one of the ones where I'm like, oh, okay, I'll watch it. I'm not, you know, overly excited for it, but I'll give it a watch. It's naturally, it's okay. Just one of the interesting things about this movie isn't quite the movie itself and what happens in the movie, but it's a lot of behind the scenes situation and things having to do with production that make it a little interesting. So right off the bat, there is a bit of a recasting situation going on. So Rhodey gets recast in this movie. In the previous movie, we saw him played by Terrence Howard. However, in Iron Man 2 and then every other movie that we see Rhodey in, Don Cheadle portrays him. And I love Don Cheadle. I think he's a fantastic actor. I think he portrayed Rhodey really, really well. And I definitely think casting-wise, he was the better choice, especially when it came to his on-screen chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. Now, with the whole recasting situation, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of rumor that rumors that kind of go on about what went wrong and what was the cause of it. Officially, it's due to contract disputes. That's the official statement. I mean, if you want to believe any of the rumors and any of the speculations, you know, feel free to do so. But this is kind of like the official statement and reasoning as to why uh, we see a new face on Rhodey. But yeah, you know, and if you're not really sure about the whole situation or what the rumors are, take a quick little Google search or, you know, you can even DM me. I'm always happy to talk about movies. I always say this, but, um, but yeah, no, I've definitely, I've read up on it a little bit and it's, it's interesting to say the least, but (laughs) yeah, anyway, um, next up, I want to talk about Mickey Rourke, who played Ivan Vanko, aka Whiplash. And a lot of respect for Mickey. He's also a really fantastic actor. Um, what he really wanted to do with his character was to make him more of a three-dimensional villain and add layers so he wasn't just this, quote, murderous, revenging bad guy. And now all the production team did allow him to do this. However, to quote Mickey, Marvel just wanted a one-dimensional bad guy. So a lot of his performance was actually not used, which is a shame because now our villains are given a lot more layers and we have a lot more understanding and background into their motivation and what brought them to where they are. 
Rourke even did take aim at the studio and at, you know, the director, John Favreau, saying, if you're working for the wrong studio or let's say a director that doesn't have any balls, then they're just going to want it to be the evil bad guy. Mm-hmm. Very interesting that this happened. And I definitely, I understand the frustration and that bit of anger that there is towards it because I think it's so fair for uh for you to want your character to be portrayed a certain way, especially when it comes to a villain. Um, there's always a lot more to the story, you know? And again, now when we see our villains, we see those layers. We see what happened in their life that kind of flipped the switch and gave them that push to choose a slightly different lifestyle. You know, take... Take Loki, for example. I mean, his history is a little heartbreaking, you know. And for him, we do get a lot of insight into that push to kind of become the villain, to become the bad guy. We see that and we understand it and we even sympathize with it. And that's kind of why Loki has become such a fan favorite character because of those layers it's because of that background and that understanding that we have into his life that allows us to love him so much another character that kind of comes to mind is baron zemo and you know we first see him in civil war but we learn that it's the events of age of ultron and you know what happened in sokovia that affected his life and flip the switch for him to kind of go on that journey to, you know, get revenge and to eliminate super soldiers and cause division between the Avengers, you know, we get that understanding, we get his character a lot deeper than what's on the surface level. And then even when we see him again in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we get even more insight into him. We see those layers even more. And again, he becomes a fan favorite. A lot of fans have so much love for Zemo. I have a lot of love for Zemo. And he's a character that I truly hope that we continue to see. And I think we will. I think we have. We definitely have not seen the last of Baron Zemo. He's definitely returning as a character once more which I will be delighted to see. I mean, that's also thanks to Daniel Brühl as well, a fantastic actor. He really portrayed uh, Zemo very, very well. Now, moving on. So Iron Man 2 wasn't quite the film that Jon Favreau wanted to make. So, you know, Marvel was interfering a lot because they have their plans for the Avengers to come out. And even before that, we were getting Thor and Captain America, the first Avenger. So in the Iron Man sequel, they wanted to reference the Avengers quite a bit, you know? And, you know, that's why we see Nick Fury and we get that little bit of shield, you know? And this definitely caused problems because Barrow ultimately wasn't able to bring his true vision to life. And his vision actually really revolved around making Iron Man a trilogy where he could have one big story that each film tied into, similar to how we have the 
are phase one through three, where each film very slowly builds up to what Infinity War Endgame is. But with Favreau and Iron Man, his original vision for um, Iron Man 2 sort of loosely followed the classic demon in a bottle storyline from 1979. And he just like really wanted to continue to develop Stark as a character and really show his struggles and the things that he goes through and just showing him as an incredibly flawed person, which he is. And that's what makes him so amazing. And one of the reasons why I love Iron Man so much. But why not get into the movie now? So one of my favorite things about Iron Man, I've talked about it before countless times. I always bring it up, but it's his fantastic taste in music. In basically the very first scene that we see Tony, he is jumping out of the plane in his suit, landing at the expo. And we have shoot to thrill playing. And oh my goodness. I, okay, I mean, a lot of love for ACDC. A lot of love for this song. And I love his entrance. It's flashy. It's a big show. It's got so much energy. And it's the type of energy that literally only Tony can bring. Because it's all in his personality. So it all comes really really naturally and it's so organic and it doesn't feel forced and that's what I love about it so much and it's really funny because later on in the movie we see Justin Hammer try to bring a bit of that energy when he's presenting at the expo later on and it's just not the same it's feels forced it doesn't feel natural You know, he doesn't have that same charisma that Tony has, like not even close. And it's really funny because we get that little shot of Pepper and Natasha and they kind of like glance at each other and they're like looking at the at the stage like, what what is he doing? Like, this is just embarrassing. (laughs) And it's totally embarrassing. I'm like, no, Justin, like this isn't you. Like this is you're trying to emulate Tony Stark energy and you're trying to emulate uh, Tony Stark energy. And you can't do it. Like, it's not the same. Not even close. But, yeah, no, that little entrance is amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And, oh, little side note. Before this scene, we had a bit of an alternate opening. Um, This is a deleted scene. And Tony is hungover, throwing up into the toilet on the plane. And... He and Pepper have a lovely little bickering session as he wants Advil, but she says, I don't have Advil, but I have Motrin. And Motrin, of course, is just a brand name. It's just ibuprofen, which Pepper does explain to Tony. But we get a very beautiful, iconic line where Tony yells, I'm not on my cycle, Pepper. And... I, gosh, I remember fans were like completely losing their mind and just think it's like the funniest thing ever. And I think it would have been a really interesting scene to have, but I definitely understand why they went with the the villain intro instead. But yeah, no, that was a quick little 
a quick little insert of a moment that's like really, really funny. So in this movie, Tony is really struggling with the palladium poisoning that is slowly killing him. And the thing is that Tony, he doesn't tell anyone. He keeps this information to himself. And it's basically just him and Jarvis who are aware of the fact that he is slowly dying due to the poisoning. And this heavily impacts his relationships with others like Rhodey and with Pepper, especially with Pepper. They both become very frustrated with him and especially with Pepper puts a big strain on their relationship. And, you know, Pepper does a lot for Tony. She takes on a lot of work and basically babysits him. And now he's just has very self-destructive behavior and she's just not, she's just not sure what to do anymore. She's not sure how to help him because, you know, she feels like she's done all, she's done all she can. And one of the first things that we see him do is when they're in Monaco he replaces the Formula One driver that was representing Stark Industries and he drives the car instead. And I mean, this is very dangerous. You know, while Tony is a good driver, he is not trained for this, you know? He is putting himself at risk, but he's also putting others at risk. And then one of the other big things that we see him do is his birthday party. He feels like it's his last birthday party because, you know, he's going with this mindset that he's going to die within a year. So he dons the suit and he (laughs) makes a big old mess because now he's blasting things as, uh, you know, the party guests are throwing them into the air. And then... It's Rhodey who ultimately ends up interfering by donning the Mark II suit to, you know, bring, you know, control, to try and control the situation just a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, it's it's such a frustrating thing to see because we as a viewer know what Tony is going through. We know that he's struggling with this knowledge that he's going to die and that he's incredibly sick but then it's so frustrating because he could just be honest and he could talk to them you know talk to the people who really really care about him and you know get help you know his like Rhodey and Pepper love him a lot and it's definitely I understand their frustration seeing him act this way but then not really have an understanding of why. So we, you know, we have the Monaco situation, we have the birthday situation, but those two situations aren't the only kind of compulsive decisions he's made. One of the uh, compulsive decisions he makes is making Pepper CEO. So very much on a whim, he basically makes Pepper CEO of Stark Industries. And I mean, I think it's, very smart choice to do this. I think she's perfect for the position. Um, she's already done a, a lot for Stark Industries and has worked so closely with Tony and has, you know, basically done anything that he's needed to do. And more so, she's the best choice because she knows the business. 
she knows what Tony wants and the direction that he's been wanting to lead Stark Industries to, especially after um, in the first movie when he made the choice to stop weapons production. You know, if CEO fell into someone else's hands, there's that risk that they could fall back just because they did. They were such a big name within the industry and were doing so well. But if Pepper is in the position, she makes sure that, you know, they never fall back into the old ways. So touching back on Tony's relationships with some characters, let's chat a little bit about his relationship with his father. So uh, Tony makes this comment about how his father never told him he loved him or even really liked him. In his eyes, he wasn't loved by his father, you know? He did not feel that kind of emotion from him. However, we do learn that Howard did love his son in this movie. While uh, Tony is watching a video of his father talking about uh, Stark Expo, he says this. He leaves a message for his son. He says, I built this for you, and someday you'll realize that it represents a whole lot more than just people's inventions. It represents my life's work. This is the key to the future. I'm limited by the technology of my time, but one day you'll figure this out. And when you do, you change the world. What is and always will be my greatest creation is you. So Howard loved his son. He did. He didn't show it in the way that mattered the most. And in a way where Tony could really understand it, but he did love his son. And the unfortunate thing is that Tony learns this very late in life, which is sad. But Howard is basically, you know, talking about like leaving a legacy behind for his son. He's leaving something behind for the future. And it's really nice parallel to earlier when Tony is talking about leaving behind a legacy and something for the future. You can see that these similarities between father and son are so clear and so evident. And it's just these little things that you pick up on as you watch the movies. And definitely seeing a young Howard in the first Avenger even solidifies this. But I, I mean, I loved seeing a young Howard and loved seeing how similar him and Tony are. However, the most interesting thing about Howard's message of, you know, being limited by technology and how one day Tony's going to figure it out and when he does, he's going to change the world. What is this? It is that new element. So Howard left um, a diagram of the molecular structure of this new element in the 1974 diorama of the Stark Expo. And it it takes a little bit of time, but Tony figures it out And he creates this element. He's able to create it and then replace his arc reactor with it. Um, And, you know, cure is palladium poisoning. So win-win, right? (laughs) But, I I mean, that also just shows Tony's intelligence and how smart he is. And every single time I think about it, I'm just amazed at how goddamn smart this man is. Every single time I think about it, I'm like, oh. God, wow, I can't even imagine what that must be like. 
There are a lot of fun details about this movie. One of which is the you know the moment the day after uh, Tony's disastrous birthday party, he's hungover and he's sitting in a Randy's donut eating donuts. And the really interesting detail about this is that they thought about what Tony would be doing if he was hungover. You know, where would he go? What would he eat? What is the process for him? And since he's the first significant character from the West Coast, because a a lot of characters that we get are um, a little more East Coast than West Coast, they they wanted to choose something that was very unique to the West west coast and what what's better than randy's donuts which is a a staple and uh and now of course in this scene we do we do see nick fury again and they have a fun little chat and um we get some a great line from tony where he says i don't want to join your super secret boy band which is of course the avengers initiative i don't know so it's one of those lines that i just think about randomly it just comes to my mind sometimes and I'm like, I don't want to join your super secret boy band. And it, you know, brings me a little giggle every now and then. But then Nick kind of goes into this whole conversation of like, you're becoming a problem. And I've got bigger problems in the Southwest region, which is alluding to Thor's hammer in New Mexico. Because obviously in Thor, we have that whole situation where Mjolnir or Jonathan or Mew Mew, you know, whatever name you, you prefer for the hammer, um, is in a ditch and people are trying to get it out, you know, but they can't because they're not worthy. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that's all for another day. But I think that is a perfect little segue into talking about some Easter eggs. Now, this movie actually has quite, quite a few Easter eggs. Um, we do see a prototype of Captain America's shield. When Coulson comes down to Tony's workshop, uh, he picks it up and he, you know, he asks Tony, like, do you know what this is? Because Coulson knows exactly what it is. Um, and, you know, it's a prototype of Captain America's shield, you know, because uh, Howard did make a number of prototypes. And we do see quite a few of them, of course, before uh, you know, Steve chooses to don the vibranium shield in the first Avenger. Next up, we when Tony is going through his father's notes and his notebooks and kind of just like rifling through them, we see a sketch of the Tesseract. And this is the first time kind of see it in that way before Captain America, the first Avenger, where we really see the Tesseract and the power that it holds. And in another one, um, in this is a deleted scene, um, but it looks like Tony was playing around with nanotech. This is the first time we kind of see him playing around with it, and we don't really see it in action until Infinity War, where he has his nanotech suit, which, by the way, absolutely hands down my favorite Iron Man suit. I love it so much. It's totally my favorite. It's it's amazing. It's a good one. Then at the end of the movie, when uh, Tony is in the warehouse speaking with Nick, we see on one of the screens, there's a news report playing. 
And it's the report of the campus battle from the Incredible Hulk. So that's a nice little, nice little kind of detail tucked in. And also a little setup for introducing Bruce in the Avengers movie. Kind of the last Easter egg. I what would I call it? An, yeah, no, a bit of an Easter egg. This was more of a thought that I had while watching it. At the Stark Expo, the main stage structure kind of looked like an arc reactor. I wasn't sure if this was intentional, if this was done on purpose, if this just, maybe I'm just crazy and I'm just seeing things, but it definitely looked like similar structure to the arc reactor. And I thought that was a really interesting little detail. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe watch that scene and give me your thoughts on it. Maybe I'm just insane. (laughs) Kind of the last thing I want to... The last thing I kind of want to mention as another look into future movies is that we see Senator Stern for the first time in this movie. Now, I hate Senator Stern. I despise this man a lot. I think he's absolute trash. But we see him in uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and we learn that he is a part of Hydra. And having that knowledge really gets the gears turning and makes me think maybe that's why he was pushing so hard to ensure, you know, the Iron Man suit and the tech was handed over because then it could be used by Hydra, you know, which also going to push me to further like to think about it again and be like, oh my God, how different things would have been if Hydra had the Iron Man suit and technology. It would be insane. And oh God, (laughs) it's so similar to how like in the Avengers, they were going to try to harness like the Tesseract power to create weapons. Oh God, (laughs) I can't even wrap my head around it because it's just it's so insane to me about how different things could have been it definitely brings in that like what if situation (laughs) which is you know convenient because we are getting that uh what if tv show which i'm so excited for oh my god but another character that we see for the first time before seeing again later on down the road within the MCU is a very young Peter Parker. Small child we see in the Iron Man helmet who, you know, tries to embrace his inner Iron Man was confirmed to be Peter Parker. Now, there, I remember, I think before this time, it was just like a lot of fan theories and almost just a headcanon being created that it was Peter Parker. But then Tom Holland actually confirmed this before the homecoming premiere that, you know, it actually was a young Peter Parker at that expo. And I don't know. I love that little detail. It makes me really happy. Even if some, they, I don't know, Kevin Feige came out and was just like, actually, no, 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 no. That was just some random kid. I'd be like, no, it was Peter Parker. I just know it deep in my soul. It was Peter Parker. (laughs) And to finish off this episode, Save the best for last. At least I think best for last. 
we meet a phenomenal, badass character for the very first time, Natasha Romanoff, aka Black Widow. Oh my god. Very fitting because Black Widow has just come out. I've watched it. I cried several times. It was a really good movie. <laughs> but we see her for the first time in Iron Man 2. Now, while I do have a, a lot of problems with how she is portrayed in this movie compared to later on, I'm going to focus purely on her character. I love Natasha. She's one of my favorite characters. She's so badass. She's so strong. And she can like hold her own in a fight and just completely kick ass. And she does this in, in the in this movie several times. And it's really is like what an introduction to her character, especially when we first see her. She's not Natasha Romanoff, but she's Natalie Rushman. Because, you know, she's undercover, you know. She is donning a new, a different persona, and then we see her as Natasha, and then we see her in really in action later on. And like, again, it's, you know, like, what a way of introducing her character, because then after this, the next time we see her is in The Avengers. In that movie alone, she again really just shows how badass she is and how strong of a fighter she is. You know, she is incredibly skilled when it comes to, you know, hand-to-hand combat and as well when it comes to, you know, speaking with people and, you know, that bit of manipulation because she will always get the information they need. And God, I just, I love her so much. And yeah, you know, what a way to introduce her into the universe. And Scarlett did a phenomenal job portraying her. And it's, I mean, it's always interesting to consider other actors that were in the running to play certain characters. So for example, with Natasha, uh, Emily Blunt was considered for the role, but then she had to pull out uh, due to, you know, film scheduling for a, another movie, which was Gulliver's Travels, which is a little unfortunate, but Scarlett did a fantastic job in this role. And it's definitely sad now to see her gone from the MCU. But yeah, definitely would get into a little more detail the more we see her. So later on um, in the other movies, I'll definitely touch base a lot more on her character. Definitely when talking about her movie Black Widow, that's going to be a lot more Natasha focus and really talking about her character and her experiences and her old life, as well as talking about some of the other fantastic characters we meet in that movie. But that about wraps up Iron Man 2. Thank you so much for listening. As always, it is an absolute pleasure recording these episodes. And I, you know, I love talking about movies all the time, constantly. Usually it's one of the few only things that are on my mind. <laughs> but yeah, you know, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter. You can find me at Oh Shoot Podcast. 
on both of those platforms. Feel free to DM me whenever. I'm always excited and happy to talk about movies and TV shows. If you want to come on as a guest, check out the link tree. I have an application there. You can come on and talk about one of the Marvel movies, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, or, you know, one of your absolute favorite movies or TV shows. Anything goes. So I'll just sign off here. Thank you so much again. And as always, stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.